This episode of the Consulting Pipeline Podcast is brought to you by me, Philip Morgan. If you're interested in specializing and you are a self-employed software developer, I have written a book just for you. It's called The Positioning Manual for Technical Firms, and it is, I think, as close to a comprehensive reference for all the available ways to navigate the process of specializing your services and your marketing. It's specifically written for self-employed software developers, and again, it's a, a sort of reference manual that gives you all the options and helps you decide on the one that's the best fit for you. You can find more out about that at thepositioningmanual.com. Okay, got another question today. This is from Mr. D, different Mr. D than last time. This Mr. D lives in Germany. And I'm going to read through the question and sort of paraphrase in certain areas just to make it a little uh, more anonymized. So Mr. Mr. D writes, I could use some help with tuning my positioning statement. I think a lot of things could fall into place, including finishing my website, if I could get this figured out. And you know what, Mr. D, you are 100% correct. I find that clarity about your focus leads to, it has this cascading effect that affects all kinds of other things in your marketing, including your website. So at the moment, he has a, a sort of working draft of a positioning statement that reads like this. I'm a Java enterprise developer helping organizations save time and money and, aggra and reduce aggravation in transitioning from monolithic applications to cloud native microservices. And uh, Mr. D goes on to ask, he says, the trouble is that I do not know who I will target or what I want to specialize in. So the trouble ha I'm having really is how to write all this consistent, concisely enough to make it make sense and be accurate. He goes on, my target market seems fairly large as it would be any organization, large or small, that has a desire to transform their monolithic application to microservices. Uh, that is 100% uh, correct. <laughs> like this is a, just a textbook example of a horizontal problem that could show up in almost any market vertical, almost any type of organization. So he goes on to say, the expensive problem is fairly clear, at least to me. Good. Then we get to the hard part. What is my strong differentiator? Um, and then he's got some other detail that I, I think is not, I'm going to cut out here because it's not super relevant to this core question that I want to tackle. And I want to tackle it because I've seen it come up in lots of other situations with other people. And so uh, I'm super grateful, Mr. D, that you wrote in with this question. It's, um, it's, I think it's going to be helpful to a lot of people. So there's really two questions here. One question is, um, can you define a market position that has a great value proposition associated with it. In other words, if you think of your positioning statement as your value proposition, like I create this valuable outcome for companies that have this particular problem, is it compelling? That's the first question. And unfortunately, that's the easier question to answer. <laughs> and I say unfortunately because the other part of this is much harder. The other part is how will you get leads for your services? As always, uh, the reason consultants always say when you ask them anything, they always say, well, it depends. <laughs> it's because it really does. And so I should call out the assumptions I'm making. 
I'm assuming that this is some expertise that you've developed in the real world on real projects, but you don't have a track record a mile long of doing this for dozens and dozens of different companies. If you did, the reason I assume this is if you did, I doubt you would be answering asking this question because you probably would have developed a reputation within some uh, subset of the larger world of business. Maybe it's within a market vertical or maybe it's, it's within a type of company or maybe the, the reputation has sort of grown as people have gone from job to job. People you know who have worked with you where you've been the consultant and they were the client and then they moved to a different company and that company had the same problem and then they brought you in to solve the problem. Assuming I'm assuming that's not happening because again, if it was, it's unlikely that you would be saying, hey, Philip, what do I do here? Because things would be working or functioning well enough that I doubt you would be feeling any kind of pain. But where this problem tends to come up is um, somewhere in this in the following spectrum. Somebody has an intuition or an idea or perhaps has done a little bit of market research and identified a expensive problem that they are well suited to solve. Okay, that's on one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is maybe in their actual experience of clients hiring them, they've come across this problem several times and they've seen through direct experience that it is a problem that's bigger than just those few clients. In other words, it's not a one-off problem. It's a it's it's a pattern. And as the world of technology marches ever, I guess, forward, <laughs> not always, but usually forward, you see this happening where I was on the freelancer show the other day, I was joking about, uh, um, I mean, not joking, but laughing about uh, thin clients. I mean, I'm sure if you've been in technology for more than about um, 10 or 15 years, you remember the absolute fervor around thin clients um, I'm going to say sometime around, I'm trying to remember when exactly that was the new hotness. I think it was around, um, basically around the year 2000, somewhere around there, maybe the early 2000s. You know, Citrix had their um, terminal server software. Microsoft eventually, I think, licensed parts of that and incorporated it into the core operating system. So you had this ability to have these, you know, inexpensive computers where all they were doing is providing a terminal view of an operating system running on some uh, big server in a data center. And at that time, it was even hilarious to me because it was a return uh, to the idea of centralized computing where all the hard stuff happened on, you know, on a server in some data center, just like it used to in the days of mainframes. So... That's why I joke about technology marching ever forward is there's also a circular nature to it. And the reason I joke about that, uh, or the reason I bring that up, is that as things change, that creates opportunity for people who solve problems. And those problems can be caused by what we perceive as progress. Like, okay, uh, for a while it seemed like a great idea to build applications in a monolithic style or... Maybe it was never a good idea, but people did it that way anyway because of reasons. And now that creates new perceived problems because there's a, a better way of doing things. You know, there's this microservices approach. So you'll see that. You'll, you'll see problems develop, and maybe you are in a position such that 
you think this is a problem you could kind of base your business on. In other words, you could specialize in solving this problem, but you don't have a lot of feedback or validation from the market, or you just don't have a lot of access to clients that have this problem. And that's the situation that I think Mr. D is in, or I would suspect based on the way the question is phrased. And again, it's a common place to be and so you sort of smell this opportunity, you sense it, you think it's there, but you're not really currently well positioned to take advantage of it and and sort of become known as the person. It would take some work to become known as the, the solution to that problem. So let's look at the how you might tackle that. First, the theoretical aspects. There's basically three ways that you could uh, again, the positioning problem is not so difficult to solve. The positioning problem is, well, I specialize in solving this problem. It produces the following benefits. And if if your if the problem is if the magnitude of the problem or the scale of it across all all the clients out there is sufficient, and the supply of people who specialize in solving it is sufficiently small. So if the if the demand is sufficiently large and the supply is sufficiently small, you don't really need uh, you know, to have a really clever differentiator or something that sets you apart. You just need to have credible um, proof that you're a good solution to the problem. And you have what you need to get over that threshold of, of getting a client's interest. But you also need leads. <laughs> That's, I think, honestly, the harder part of this is how will you start to generate leads if you have defined your your specialization or your positioning around this this sort of emerging problem. And so for the lead generation, there's really three approaches. One is outbound. You're reaching out, um, you know, the, the most, um, the example of outbound that strikes fear in the heart of um, most people like me and <laughs> those that I work with is uh, cold calling. I'm not saying you should cold call. What's replaced that largely these days is cold outbound email. And that's a numbers game, and that's fine. It, it can work. And the nice thing about outbound is that you're in control of the timing and you're in control of a lot more aspects of this form of lead generation than you might be otherwise. It's often useful, and, and Mr. D kind of hints at this in his question. He says, my target market seems fairly large as it could be any organization, large or small, that has a desire to transition their monolithic application to microservices. So from a lead, from the practical perspective of actually generating leads, that's a, um, I'm resisting using the word disastrous, that's a troublesome situation because it leads to overwhelm. If your target market is potentially any company, then all of a sudden you're kind of thrown back into the generalist crab bucket where you don't know what to say that's going to be particularly resonant for them. You don't know what language to use. You don't know what you know business model, what concerns they have that are relevant to their business model. A lot of that is unknown if your target market is any company. So what I recommend is that people adopt a temporary vertical market focus, even if their real value proposition is centered around a horizontal problem like migrating monolithic Java apps to microservices. Here's a, an example. I'm constantly trying to refine this example. Here's my current iteration of it. Let's say that you, for some reason, 
speak uh, Creole, which is that um, hybrid of uh, French and English that is um, a, a, a sort of sub non-English language group that's spoken here in the United States. And you wanted to be around other Creole speakers so that you could, for fun or uh, whatever, you could speak Creole with other people who know how to speak it. And you wanted to just kind of rub shoulders with those people. If that was you, then you should be thinking about living in or moving to the state of Louisiana. And I'm sure there's even some further, uh, more specific part of Louisiana where Creole is speak, spoken most commonly. I don't know what that is, but I assume it's southern Louisiana. Either way, um, you should go where there's a lot of Creole speakers. And because Creole is, is you know so specific to a certain region in the country, there's only really one choice, as far as I know, which is Louisiana. So... If you want to help companies migrate monolithic applications to microservices, it may be beneficial if you're doing outbound marketing, actually, even if you're doing other forms of lead generation, but if you're doing outbound lead generation, it is beneficial to adopt a temporary market vertical focus so that you're saying, I help, uh, let's, I don't know, telecommunications companies migrate uh, or re-architect or whatever monolithic Java applications for a microservices environment. And the reason you adopt that temporary market vertical focus is that all of a sudden, those questions like, ah, who am I speaking to? What are their concerns that are driven by their business model and their ways of doing business and the type of customers they have and the, you know, the, the challenges that are specific to their market? All of a sudden, those things become questions that you can answer because you now have that market vertical focus. And once you gather gather enough momentum, you can start to relax that market vertical focus and go after companies outside of that market vertical. So still talking about theory here, if you're trying to generate leads through outbound, it's a numbers game. It becomes easier though when you when you start to clarify what type of company you're going after. The other option, uh, the other of three basic categories of options are inbound marketing. And that's where you're going out and doing things like content marketing or speaking or guesting on podcasts or on and on. There's lead time involved in inbound marketing. That's really the main shortcoming that you need to be aware of. And then finally, I think the third category of lead generation that might be suitable for someone with this kind of horizontal specialization is paid advertising, but specifically search intent paid advertising like Google uh, pay-per-click advertising, where your ad is being displayed in response to someone's search intent, which is a lot better indicator, I think in this case specifically, of relevance than something like uh, you know demographic advertising like you'll see with Facebook. I'm not an expert by any means on, on advertising, so take that with a grain of salt. But my, my goal here is to say, these are your three basic types of tools in doing lead generation. And lead generation really is the harder question. Uh, I know it seems, uh, Mr. D, like uh, the positioning statement is the harder question. But I think if you, again, I think if you temporarily adopt a market vertical focus based on trying to identify a market vertical where there's likely to be lots of good candidates for the service you provide, then 
you'll have some of those missing pieces that you have on the positioning statement side of things. But I also want to warn you that once you've got that solved, then you've got to have a way of generating leads. And that's really what I'm talking about now is you've got outbound, inbound, and search intent driven paid advertising. Those are your three categories of tools. And that's where I you know, have to switch into consultant mode and say, well, which, which of those is best for you depends. But let me try to make this practical and sketch out what, I th based on my experience, would for most people be the relevant and l most conservative approach. Now, I've certainly seen some exceptions. I do have, uh, I can think of at least one person currently in my positioning accelerator program who has come to me and said, blah, 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 this is the situation. And I'm like, wow, you could probably dive right into a horizontal expert market position without really um, doing what I'm about to say, which is to take a more cautious, incremental, uh, progressive approach. Okay, so I have seen exceptions, but for most people, and again, without knowing more specifics about anybody's situation, I would be hesitant to say, pivot your business, go all in. <laughs> okay, I do say that sometimes, but I like to see a lot of evidence that it's not going to blow up or backfire. So instead, what I would say for most people is think about a 12 to 18 month transition plan. So already we're talking about a time frame that is like long enough for you to grow a really long shaggy beard or, you know, for you to, if you're a man, to get somebody pregnant and have the baby. And I mean, we're talking about a long time frame here, uh, unless you are naturally inclined to sort of take the long view. So think about a 12 to 18 month transition plan where you are starting to create some difficult to replicate premium content marketing. For most people, that's going to be look like writing a book or a very, very uh, well done, uh, detailed, authoritative uh, body of content online or uh, speaking at the right place for the right group of people. Those are the kinds of content marketing where the barrier to entry is not just, oh, I wrote a blog post that was, you know, 2,000 words on this topic, but it really demonstrates to potential clients that you're a serious person going deep, um, hopefully uh, demonstrating real expertise in this area. So you would start developing some sort of premium piece of content marketing, maybe more than one premium piece of content marketing, but at least one. And you would make sure that you have a cash supply. <laughs> I don't, I mean, maybe savings or more likely some sort of ongoing work, long-term contract, maintenance work, something that keeps uh, the money coming in while you work on becoming known as an expert in this area. And that would be the core of this approach, which basically, again, to reiterate, it's just take it slow. <laughs> Don't expect you know, results overnight. Work on doing uh, premium forms of content marketing that will start to attract leads, but don't have the expectation that they're going to work right away or super fast. And have some way of keeping the business running in the meantime. So basically, uh, my approach, my advice is just take it slower um, on the lead generation side of things. Don't expect results immediately, super fast, etc. And that's the mo I think the safest, most prudent way to think about executing a 
uh, transition like this. Hope that helps, Mr. D. There's uh, obviously a lot more to talk about around this particular question, but hopefully those are a few things that kind of get you looking in the right direction, hopefully get you unstuck. If you, dear listener at home, have a question that you'd like me to answer on air, send it uh, with voicemail. Call the following number, 707-204-0717. That's the answer hotline for the Consulting Pipeline podcast. I will answer your, I'll play your question on air and answer it live. And um, again, that number is 707-204-0717.